Fathom fam, welcome to our weekly Sunday Sermon Podcast. We want to remind you, if you haven't yet, go ahead and download our Church Center app. We've got lots of awesome events coming up, and we don't want you to miss a thing. You can also keep tabs on us over on Instagram or YouTube, our Facebook page, and our Fathom fam Facebook group. We're going to link all those resources in the show notes, and we hope to see you there. But for now, we're going to jump right into the message. Are you happy to be here today? Hey, when I went to bed, I thought I was going to have to just have a lot of altar time because I went to bed before the game was over. And so I'm fully expecting that you guys are ready to just to lean in, to have some fun. Like, this is revival. I was, I was telling Pastor Kyle, like, I don't know what I'm going to enter into today. If it's going to be a lot of prayer, a lot of laying on of hands, maybe some counseling up front, or if we're just going to have some fun. So today we're going to have some fun, but some of you might be a little bit tired because you stayed up a little bit too late. Um, but hey, what a great game, huh? Was that a lot of fun? Come on, I knew, I knew I'd get a little cheer out of that one. Um, as, uh, as Pastor Kyle said, my name is Dan Stoffer, and um, I serve at Next Level Church, and just really grateful to be with you all uh, today. I've got a picture of my family. I want to share them uh, with you. My wife, Stephanie. I've got three amazing kids, Eden, who's 24, Emma, who's 20, and it was a, just a week ago yesterday that she uh, was proposed to, and she said yes, and so we've got a, a wedding in the future, so I'm doing a lot more budgeting right now, a little more than uh, normal, and then I've got a 17-year-old son, Grant. And uh, they send their love, hope they were wanting to come with, my wife was going to come with me, and my daughter scheduled a, an appointment to try on a dress, and uh, my wife's texting me, she picked the first one she tried on, she didn't try any other. I'm like, she knows what she wants. My wife does not know what she wants. Usually, it takes her time, she's just, she processes it a little bit different, my daughter's a little bit different, but uh, that's what they're doing, and, uh, but so excited to be here. And then I also want you to know that I'm here on behalf of, of my pastors, Pastor Matt, and Sarah Keller of Next Level Church. I have a picture of them as well. They send their love. Uh, they love your pastors. They're so thankful for, for Fathom Church. And uh, we're in this together. It was 20 years ago this past May um, that Next Level Church launched. And it was 20 years ago in, uh, uh, well, 21 years ago now um, that uh, our pastors Matt and Sarah moved to Fort Myers, Florida from the small town Indiana and uh, to plant a church. And it was hard going in those early years. And as they tell the story, they were sitting on the edge of their bed in their small 800-square-foot apartment with an infant son, and uh, it was just so hard. Tears are streaming down their face, feeling alone, uh, feeling hopeless, and even feeling clueless of how to lead a church. And it was on the edge of that bed that their prayer out to God that day was, God, if you let us live through this, and it was a big if, but if you let us live through this, we'll do whatever we can to make sure that no ministry couple ever has to feel the way that we feel right now. And that was the birth of the relational network. And my wife and I, our family, we met Pastors Matt and Sarah in 2008, right after we had planted a church. And they just leaned into us and everything that they prayed for uh, that God would do in them, they started just sowing into us and just uh, so grateful for them. And it was in 2016 that my family moved. We resigned our church. I felt God was calling us to, to make a shift. And we moved to Fort Myers, Florida and uh, stepped in to be the Next Level Relational Network pastors, and just really grateful to be able to be here with you today celebrating 10 years as a church. Come on, you need to know that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, 90, it's, it's a little over 90% of all church plants don't make it past two and a half years to three years. That's crazy. And so to be at 10 years, like, you made it. 
You're not done yet, but you're you're doing good. We've made it. We're making some progress today. And uh, today, I want to talk about what it means to be the church, or in a series talking about the church and reading through the book of Acts and and really discovering what the early church was all about, what what was what fueled them, what what moved them forward, what caused them to to not be. I mean, it, it's it's really a miracle that the church survived in the climate that the church was birthed in, it, when you've got the the Roman government that's just ba- barely tolerating uh, the Jewish nation. And, and this, this little sect, almost a, a cult almost seemingly, starts rising up with this leader that was, was, was murdered, was crucified, yet people are saying he's alive. And somehow it's, it's just making it through all of this persecution, and it survived. And it's because of what we're going to look at today. And we're actually going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at this verse, or this portion of Scripture, where Jesus comes back to this city that he had just been at just a few days prior to where he performed a miracle, healed a, a man of leprosy, and then he goes about ministering around other cities, and then he comes back. And that's where we pick up here. Mark chapter 2, and verse 1, it says, A few days later, after he had performed that one miracle, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left. So he's in this large house, and he's... And he's preaching to them. There's no room left in that, in that home, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And I want to pause there real, real quick because when I'm reading scripture, I love to try to find myself in it. As I'm reading, like, what would it have been like to be in that room that day? Because a lot of times when, when we're reading the Bible, we can just go so quickly past it. And many times that's why we don't get a whole lot of a whole lot out of it. We don't allow our imagination to kind of, you know, we're so used to TV or video or our phones and we're seeing things and it's just kind of played out in front of us that when we're reading a, a, a book or, or the scriptures and we turn a page to, to really find ourselves in it. So I like to, I want us to picture ourselves in it for a moment. Like if this was that room and it's quite possible that the room that Jesus was in was very close to this size. So imagine this, there's people everywhere. Like there's no empty front row, there's no altar space open, there's no platform, like they're literally surrounding him. There's no room. The doors are open, there's no room in the lobby area. The doors to outside were open, there's no room. They probably had any side doors, like these were open. People were around just trying to hear, windows were open, they're just trying to hear Jesus. And there's no room left anywhere at all. It is literally that crowded. And look what verse 3 says. It says, some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. What does it mean to be the church? The first thing that I find that it means to be the church is that we do the heavy lifting. We do the heavy lifting. Four, four friends, and, and these most likely they were friends, but we don't know if they knew the paralyzed person we don't know what the relationship was. We don't know if they had passed by him multiple times and finally like, all right, we're going to bring you to church. We don't know if he was calling out to them for help. We, we don't know. All we do know is that these four guys grabbed the corner of somebody's mat and did everything they could to bring him to Jesus. And so one of the other things I love to do when I'm putting myself in the story is I want to imagine like not even imagine, just whatever state I'm in in that moment, who am I, God? Like, am, am I one in the crowd that's kind of watching, listening, hearing, trying to get a, a seat, trying to get space around Jesus? Am I the paralyzed person? You know, some of us might be in here today, and there's areas of our life we might not be physically paralyzed, but 
There might be areas of our life that are paralyzed right now. We might be paralyzed financially, just can't seem to get any movement at all. Some of us, maybe this morning, our marriages, our, our relationships might be experiencing paralysis. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe anxiety-stricken or depression. Whatever it is, where are you in the story? Are you one that's the mat? Or maybe you're one that's, hey, you know what? God's done something in me, and I'm going to grab the corner of somebody else's mat. Wouldn't it be interesting if one of the four friends was the, the, the person that was healed of leprosy just a few days prior. Is it possible that he's walking past and like, you know what, I know what Jesus did in me, and I know what Jesus can do. He grabs three other of his friends. Come on, we've got to get him to Jesus. But bottom line is what we see is that the church, we do the heavy lifting. We, will, we won't just walk past people. We'll grab a corner of somebody's life. If your marriage has been healed and you've experienced restoration, when you see somebody else's marriage that's broken, you're, you're not willing to just walk past it anymore. You're going to grab a corner of their life. But if we're going to be the church, we do the heavy lifting. Well, back to Jesus here. Look at verse 4. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Remember how full the room was and all around it's so full. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. What does it mean to be the church number two? It means that we have faith for others. We have faith for others. What I find amazing, and again, we've got to picture this. So they show up to the house. They can't get in. They're carrying the corners of, of, of the paralyzed friend. They can't get in the room. Somehow, and this I find amazing, like how do they even get on the roof? Like just picture it for a moment. I mean, were there steps? Was it, was, you know, how hard was that to figure out, all right, we can't get in the room. It's that packed. Let's go up on the roof and let's dig through. Like they're dig. this wasn't just, you know, just a few branches laying over a roof. This wasn't just a, a tropical hut that they're just moving some of the branches. This was in Jerusalem. Like they're, they're literally having to dig through this roof. So if this was the moment, this will take a lot of imagination. So imagine I'm Jesus. Pause for laughter. Didn't happen. I had to tell you to laugh. Sorry. We'll, we'll get better at the jokes. So imagine that I'm Jesus, and they're digging through the roof. He's speaking, and all of a sudden, something kind of lands on his head. He probably brushes it off. Thought maybe it was a fly or something. But all of a sudden, more debris. He's probably having to step back, step away, and look up, and he sees this hole. Imagine just pausing the message. Someone's digging through the roof right now. Drywall starts falling. We start seeing a hand come through. And all of a sudden, we see this, this man being lowered down right before Jesus, right at his feet, right on the floor. I mean, this, is, this has got to be the craziest church service ever. Right at his floor. And he's speaking. He's paused. And then he looks up. And what did it say when he looked up? It says, when he saw their faith. Not the faith even of the paralyzed. We don't know if the paralyzed person had any faith at all. We don't know if it was just one of the friends was like, I know Jesus will heal you. It's like, and probably was like, what are you doing? We don't know. We don't know who is driving this. But what we do know is that Jesus looked up into the roof and saw four guys peering over. Like, imagine the expression on their face. They just dug through a roof, stopped the whole service, looking down at Jesus like, all right, do it. Come on, Jesus, you can do it. Do it. Like, they had this expect. He saw faith in them. They were expectant. And that's what, what it means to be the church is we have to start when, again, when we've experienced God do something miraculous in us, as, as the 
begin us maybe simple. It's not even simple. It's not even easy, but salvation. Even if you've, you've just said yes to a relationship with Jesus and you've experienced what it's like to have your sins forgiven, to have guilt washed away, to have your conscience cleared because of the blood of Jesus Christ. When, it's, when you're free from sin and you're no longer bound anymore, there's something different about you. When you've experienced that, you now have faith for somebody else. Maybe it's financial. That's, that's a little bit of my story. Was so upside down financially. 2006, we moved to New Jersey from Pennsylvania to plant a church. Uh, we bought a house we shouldn't buy. We, we, we bought a car we shouldn't have bought. We, we had, I had six credit cards that were maxed out over $50,000 of credit card debt. Maxed out. It made some horrible decisions. And God, within a 12 to 14-month period of time, had our, our mortgage remodified, had, had it set at a place where we could actually pay for it. Literally all six credit cards completely paid off within a 12 to 14 month period of time. So don't tell me you can't get out of debt. I got out of debt. Like God, when we moved here to Florida, we had zero debt, not a car, not a home, nothing. God did a miracle in our lives. So if you're struggling with finances, I have faith for you that my God can do a work in your life. I'm not moved by no matter what financial state you're in. I'm not moved if you're struggling with an addiction. It doesn't move me at all. I have faith for you. And again, maybe one of the guys that grabbed a corner was the, the man healed from leprosy. He had faith for his friend that was paralyzed. If we're going to be the church, we're going to have to grab a, come on, turn to the person next to you and say, it's time to grab a corner. Come on, tell them. Come on now, tell the other person that you were completely avoiding, didn't want to make eye contact with at all. Come on, turn to the other side. Come on, tell them, grab a corner. We're going to have to do some heavy lifting, and we're going to have to have faith for others. Now take a look. This, the story doesn't end there, and it would be amazing if it did, but it doesn't. In verse 6, it says, so now some teachers of the law were sitting there, and I find that was interesting. There's no room for someone with real need to get to Jesus, but there's some, there's some very religious people sitting there thinking to themselves. They didn't even say it out loud. It was very easy for Jesus probably to even recognize it. But they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Just sitting there. We don't know what, I, I'm assuming just based on what they were thinking that their, their arms were folded. There might have been a scoff. <sighs> As soon as he looks down at the paralyzed man, they came down to, the, he looks up, he sees their faith, but he turns to the paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Like, that's, that's how Jesus is just immediately in the moment. And they're like, oh. And maybe, maybe, they, maybe it was their house. Maybe they're on the, one of the trustees of the church and they just went through a capital campaign and they just put a new roof on it and they're really upset. Like, or they just gave big money to it. Like, oh my gosh. Or maybe they're the cleaning crew. Oh, what a mess. Now what are we going to do? Like, we don't know what was going on. All we know is they're like, they're frustrated. They're, they're, they're upset. What does it mean to be the church number three? It means that we will have some critics. We will have some critics. Now, here's what I know about, about critics is that there are times where I've been one. There are, there are times where I, I am critical. And I know what happens on the inside of me. I close up. I shut down. I finger point. 
and I, I, I'm looking at all of the things. All I can see is what's wrong in the situation. All I can see are the issues. All I can see are the problems, and it's almost impossible to get past myself and my opinion in that moment. But we will have some critics. There'll be critics inside the church. Some of us right now, we might be, we might be critical. He's like, he's wearing white pants. It's not even past Memorial Day yet. That would be my mother. Mom, if you're watching online, there you go. You know, whatever it is, it, it, we, we find different things. When we have a critical spirit, we, it's almost like we can't find any good. And so there's, there can be critics inside the church. There can be critics outside the church, people that we come across, and we might invite them to church, or we're wearing a, a, some, some Fathom merch, and we're out there, and someone sees it, and, uh, or we're just in a conversation, and someone asks us about our church, and we go, oh, we go to Fathom. They go, oh, you go to that church, whatever that church is. But there's critics all over the place. And, and here's what I know about critics is that well, critic, well, it's almost like the, I heard a joke once or a story once about a, a farmer, a pig farmer, and he was talking to somebody about, you know, when you wrestle a pig, both get muddy, but only the pig likes it. It's this idea of like, you're gonna, you can get in there arguing and arguing and, and fighting and, and trying to win an argument, and both of you are going to get muddy, but only the one that really loves to argue is going to even enjoy that. And we're trying to win. We'll never win somebody to Jesus by arguing. I promise you, we never will. But we'll have critics all the time. Now, I, I, how many of you like food? Anybody in here besides me? Like, I like, I like to eat, and uh, I like, I, I'll go to restaurants, our family's foodies. And it's really interesting. There's a big difference where, because I'll make certain dishes at times. One of my favorite things to make is eggplant parmesan. And, and so I, growing up, or not growing up, actually, it was, this was probably, my goodness, probably 23, 24 years ago. Um, we're in Pennsylvania on staff at a church, and we didn't have a whole lot of money. And uh, we didn't have cable television. We had the Radio Shack rabbit ears. Anyone remember Radio Shack? Anyway, we had the rabbit ears and the foil and the whole thing and the angle and trying to get it in. And the only station that we could get in at the time was PBS, public broadcasting. Like, that was all we could get. And there was a chef on Lydia's Italian Kitchen. And I remember watching that show and just like, oh, man, I could literally almost smell what she was, what she was cooking. And I was like, I've got to get her cookbook. So we bought her cookbook, and it comes, and I'm like, I'm going to make something from the cookbook. And I turned to page 196. I'm just leaving through, and it opens up, and it's eggplant parm. And so I'm like, I'm going to try making eggplant parmesan. And in the recipe, with any great chef, in their one recipe, there are three to four other recipes. Like, to make this, you got to turn to page 221. To make this, you got to turn to page 135. So I'm like, well, I'm not making pasta, but I'm going to go for the sauce. Like, I'm going to try that. So I go to the store. I get all of the ingredients on the list. You've got to have fresh mozzarella, you can, not, the, not the craft shredded stuff like fresh mozzarella. You got to have Parmigiano Reggiano cheese. No, I did not just speak in tongues. It's a type of cheese, <laughs> a block of that, and fresh basil and all of this. So you get back, and it gives you the size of the eggplants, how many you need, how you have to cut them, the whole thing. And I go through the whole process of making eggplant Parmesan, making the sauce, all of it. And the first time I made it, we, we, we sit down at the table, and it was, it was good. My wife likes less sauce. She really wants the crispy eggplant because you've got you to cut it a certain way. You, you do like a, a flour, egg wash, and breadcrumbs, and you fry it to this crispy golden brown. It gets nice and crispy, and then you ladle some of the fresh uh, tomato sauce that you just made in the bottom of the, the casserole dish, and you, you begin to grate some of that fresh Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese down, and you begin to break up the basil, and as you, you're breaking it, can, you can smell this right now, you're breaking up the basil, you can smell the aroma of the basil as you're doing that, and then you kind of layer your eggplant parm, you ladle just a little bit of sauce on top of that, and then you start breaking up 
some of that fresh mozzarella on top of that. You grate some more Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, break up a little bit more basil, and then you layer another thing of eggplant. So you got three or four layers of eggplant sauce, more cheese on top. You stick it in the oven. You've got your fresh bread in there. you got your store-bought pasta <laughs> boiling on the stove. And then we, we sit down to eat, and it's delicious, but every single time we made it, and I just made it literally like six weeks ago, every time we make it, there's some sort of critique. Someone has a way that, hey, if we dad, if I like a little bit more spice or a little less sauce or a little more of this, or, and it's like, that's a great idea. Next time we make it, we're going to do that. It's a, it's a far cry to showing up at Olive Garden they're not happy to see you at Olive Garden. If you work at Olive Garden, just smile when I walk in. Be glad I'm there. That's all I'm asking. You sit down. They sit you by the bathroom. I don't want to eat by the plate. I, I just don't. I don't want to eat there. But you sit there, there, and the breadsticks aren't ready. How are they not ready? Like, this is, what you, this is all you do, breadsticks. Like, this is what you do. Just bring them. They should be ready for you hot. Sorry, the breadsticks aren't ready. <laughs> like, why not? So, you know, the breadsticks, and then I order eggplant parmesan. It comes and it's never up to my expectations. So I pull out my phone, I open up Yelp, and I start being a critic. Why? What's the difference from making it yourself to somebody else making it for you? Here's what I found about criticism. It is, it's very easy to criticize something you have not helped to create. Let me say that again. It is very easy to criticize something that you have not helped to create. And I imagine that day, in Mark chapter 2, in that room, that there were people sitting around that had no part in helping to create it, and it was very easy for them to become critical. In a moment where someone's sins are being forgiven, and they're at the threshold of a miracle in their physical body. Let's pick up in the story here, verse 8. So they, thinking to themselves, immediately, verse 8, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? I love how Jesus didn't say which is harder. He said, which is easier? For Jesus, forgiving of sins and healing bodies is easy. Neither one of them is more difficult than the other, and he doesn't even see them as difficult. He sees them as easy. He sees healing as easy as salvation, of forgiving your sins, cleansing you. For Jesus, it's the same. They're just easier. Which is easier, he asked them, to say your sins are forgiven or to say take up your mat and walk? What does it mean to be the church number four? We always remember that the point is life change. The whole point in everything that we're doing is that somebody's life today if you're here, the whole point is that your life would be changed. For every single one of us, the whole point is that we would experience life change, that, that, a, that a, a child that's right behind us right now would experience the love of Jesus like never before, and their life would never be the same again from what they're encountering right now. The whole point is life change for every one of us, whether you're, you're serving today or you're attending today or it's your first time here or you've been coming for 10 years the whole point of what we're doing right now is that God would be able to get an, an inroad into your heart and he would do something so significant in you that you would never be the same again maybe he would spark something on the inside of you that would be a catalyst that would stir up a spiritual hunger that would cause you to say you know what I want to I want to begin to serve or I want to get into a group or I, I want to lock in more or I want to begin to give I want to begin to tithe I want to begin to invest generously into what God 
is doing or whatever it is, God, I, I want to shift. I want to start praying more. I want to start reading my Bible more. That today would be a day, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter what you need, that your life could change. That we would not just be going through the motions today. Just another Sunday, a, you know, another weekend. It's another year where it's another January. Where, but that today we would recognize that the whole point of what we're doing is that our life would be changed. That we would not just be going through the motions. We remember that the whole point is life change. The Pharisees thought that the whole point was just to sit around and argue. Uh, the scriptures argue stories. But Jesus wanted them to know that this is about lost people being found. This is about found people getting free. This is about people discovering their purpose and recognizing how God has uniquely made you. This is the point of, of our lives locking in to God's purpose and his story so that we're never the same again. I'm going to pick up in verse 10. Look at this. Jesus is still talking to them, and he says that, but that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He now looks at this same person. Again, just the whole process of getting picked up, carried, taken to the roof. We don't even know what that was like. Dug through, lowered down. He, Jesus looks down. He sees their faith. He says, your sins are forgiven. He deals with the critics. He talks about life change. But then he points to this man right at his feet. And he says to him, he goes, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. What does it mean to be the church? Number five, it means that we go home different than we came. However you walked in today, the whole point is that you go home different than you came. For some of us right now, as we're, we're sitting here, we might even be processing maybe even what's going on in our own soul. Things that we might have done that we regret or we're, we're needing forgiveness for. Errors of our life that we've wrestled with for years and we've, we've not experienced any victory at all. In just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to respond just between you and God. I'm not going to embarrass you, but just between you and God. In this room, we're going to have an opportunity to allow Jesus to speak into our heart wherever you are on your spiritual journey. But you just need to know that God wants the moment that you get up and we dismiss this morning and you walk out those doors and you get in your car and you just start driving away that you're different. And that difference just means that some of us, we might have feel like we were basically carried here today. You might have someone in your life that they just compelled you to come today. Maybe you're, you came on your own, but there's definitely some paralysis, some, some spiritual or emotional paralysis, or maybe there's a physical need in your body. Just like in this scripture, what I think is so powerful about scripture is when I find myself in the scripture, I know that the same Jesus that stood there that day and saw faith and spoke to a paralyzed person and began to challenge those that were, were not a part of helping to create, that same Jesus that was in that moment is in this moment right now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's the same God, the same Savior that wants wants to wash us clean of all of our sin, that wants to forgive us if we need forgiveness. He's the same Savior that wants to speak into your marriage, to speak into your relationships, to speak into your soul and bring healing and bring faith and bring victory. He's the same Jesus. He's the same Jesus in that moment that's in this moment right now. And all that should do is just allow faith to rise up into us and to say, you know what, Jesus, I need you. 
I need healing today. So right where you are, just even close your eyes, just right where you are. Would you be willing, no matter what your spiritual condition, you might be in this room and you've never even ever said yes to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior. Today's your day. If you've never done that, God wants to bring you into a relationship with Him right now in this moment. Would, would really kind of reveal that to us is that we're spiritually paralyzed. We need Jesus. We recognize that, that we are a sinner. Not even necessarily based on anything that we've done, but simply because we've not received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've, we've been born into sin. And yet God has paid the price to rescue us from our sin. So if that's you, Head bowed, eye closed, and you say, Pastor Dan, I, 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 don't, want to re- I don't want to stay distant from God anymore. I, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You want to invite Jesus into your heart on the count of three. I want you to raise your hand. No looking around. It's just between you and God right now. You have plenty of opportunity to tell others about what your, your decision was. But right now, this is between you and your Heavenly Father. If that's you on the count of three, just lift your hand up again. I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Just, but just between you, me, and God, right now on the count of three, would you raise your hand and say yes to Jesus? One, two, three. Just slip your hand up. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands. Thank you. Thank you. If you raised your hand, or you should have raised your hand, this is your moment right now. Would you just pray along with me? I'd love every one of us in this room right now just to pray this prayer as a way of even encouraging those uh, that are praying it for the first time. So just simply say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Would you come into my heart? Would you wash me clean of all my sin? I no longer want to be separated from God. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me new today. And I commit. Come on, say that boldly. I commit from this day forward that I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to stay in this attitude of prayer just for a moment. Verse 12 here, after the paralyzed person, Jesus forgives him of his sins, and then he commands him to take up his mat and go home. Verse 12 says that he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Today, Fathom, I just want you to know that God wants to do such a work in you that it will change you in such a way that when you walk out, other people that know God or may not know God, but they know you, they know the way that you were, and now they see you different because of what God has done in you, they will say, I've never seen anything like that before. 
Maybe people have seen, we've all seen divorce. We've all seen marriages shattered. We've seen marriages destroyed. We've seen marriages fall apart. We've seen divorce after divorce after divorce. But what many of us have rarely seen is a marriage that was on the brink of divorce, seeing God do such a miraculous work in it that he restored it. And they're fully in love with God again. I've, I've experienced that, not on the brink of divorce, but my marriage hit a very rough patch in 2016. And God did such a significant miracle in my marriage to bring joy, to bring love, to bring courage, to bring strength, that now when people see my marriage, like it's in full view of everybody. They know what it was. They saw the rocky part, those that were witnesses of that, and they see the difference today. That we walk out in full view of them all, and people will begin to say about you, I've never seen anything like that before. Fathom, when's the last time somebody looked at your life and said, I've never seen anything like that before. I remember what it was. I remember, I know what you were going through. I know what you're dealing with. And I see you now. And I've just never seen anything like that before. You see, the whole result, the whole purpose is that others around us would see the life change and they wouldn't be drawn to us, but they'd actually be drawn to Jesus. So Fathom, right now in this moment, just close your eyes and open up your hands even to receive from God. And I want you to imagine who are you in the story? Are you the paralyzed person that just needs healing today? Are you one of the, the friends that you've been grabbing the corner of people's lives and maybe you just need encouragement today and you need strength today? Maybe you're, maybe you're one that was sitting in that room and there's been a critical spirit. Do you need God to heal you of that today? Whatever it is, I believe there's a next step for you. Wherever you are, I believe there's a next step. If it's broken, you need healing. If you've been working, grabbing a corner, you need refreshed and encouraged. If it's been a critical spirit, then God's going to call you to, to not just watch, but to actually be a part of creating what's happening here. And I'd be taking the next step wherever you are. We're going to worship God one more time. We're going to sing this song. And I want you to, I want to encourage you, open up your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Come on, let's just sing that song. Let's just worship you. Sometimes a sermon leaves you just wanting a little more. If this message has stirred a hunger to go deeper in God's word and you want to learn more about this teaching and how to practically apply it to your everyday walk, make sure to subscribe to our Fathom Beyond Sunday podcast. There you're going to find some great conversations between Next Steps director Christina Scott, along with Pastor Kyle or another leader or guest speaker. We'll link it in the show notes for you. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus or feel led to recommit your life to Christ, we want to celebrate with you and talk with you about what your next step might be. If you're ready to join a group or a serve team or even to request prayer for all of these things, you can text the keyword FATHOM to 97000 anytime and follow the prompts. We love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you tune in again soon.